Boat Trader is America's largest boating marketplace with over 100,000 boats to choose from. We offer simple, comprehensive solutions for those looking to sell, find, and finance new or used boats. Visit BoatTrader.com to get started. Fishing like a local isn't just about catching fish. It's about connecting with the environment and the people who call it home. It's about hearing the stories and traditions that have been passed down for generations and sharing unforgettable moments with the people you meet along the way. Fishing like a local is having an experience that stays with you forever. And with Fishing Booker, you can experience it too, no matter where you are. Discover your next adventure on Fishing Booker. All right, guys, working class on DeerCast. We're back uh, back in studio after our trade show run. Uh, so I don't know. We we did the Turkey OG series, had some good feedback on that. So I appreciate you guys uh, supporting and uh, being a part of what we're doing here on Working Class Bowhunter and DeerCast. And uh, this week is kind of a fun, more relaxed one. Somebody uh, that if you listen to Working Class Bowhunter series often, you know Damien from there. He's part of Team WCB and a good friend of ours. So uh, welcome to the DeerCast version of Working Class, the PG version, Damien. Heck yeah. Happy to be here. It's an honor. Well, I'm glad to have you. You helped us out at a lot of the shows this year. You came out to the Harrisburg PA show and helped us out there for a few days and in Columbus, Ohio. Um, so big help, man. I appreciate you coming out and just having a good time with us. Those, uh, the shows on my side of that, you know, you get there and help out a day or two and you're ready to go home. (laughs) I didn't have to do the full grind like you guys. Yeah. Yeah. Well, we appreciate any help, man. They're always a good time to hang out and see everybody and stuff like that. But, um, it is a grind. It's mentally taxing by the end of it. Sure. But but it's also weird because you're talking hunting, you're talking with hunters in that community. So you're enjoying it and you don't really realize how tired you are until like the end of the day. Cause yeah. you know, you can't be in a bad mood because that's might be how someone judges you that one time sure. they met you, you know? That guy's a jerk. Yeah. And when, <laughs> in reality it was three minutes of when I was just a little overwhelmed and needed to drink a beer or something like that. But anyway, man, shout out to you for helping. But dude, we did a podcast with you on working class. Oh, I mean, heck, it's been... It was July. July, so not No, was it? Yeah, yeah, July, because uh, we wanted it to launch in August just before elk season, so... Yeah. Yeah, it was uh, late July. So, I guess we're going to follow up with how your elk hunt went. I know you had some good luck, and then I want to talk a little bit about whitetails, and if we have time, some turkey stuff. We've been hitting the turkey stuff pretty heavy, Um so I don't know if that's as necessary. You just got some in the background, like you've killed a few birds, it looks like. So um, but let's dive into I'm, some I'm elk on, stuff. Uh, team Eric with the turkeys. But. Yeah, you're not a turkey <laughs> fan. but Eric's killed one turkey, and he's like, yeah, I'd like to kill him with a shotgun, and I'm good. But yeah, I don't know. But let's talk elk Let's talk elk first. That's the most uh, first, first in line and most relevant to that last episode. Absolutely. Yeah, The uh, it was an awesome trip. You know, it... it kind of went with uh every expectation and hope that uh i had going out there again and uh we got set up in camp uh we we drew a new mexico uh second archery tag we got there the day before season opened and got the camp um 
and got everything set. We kind of went out that night, listened for some bugles, didn't hear a whole lot, Mm -hmm. but it was kind of windy. The next morning we went out right at daybreak, got into elk, um, got onto a nice bull and we kind of headed him off. Um, And the first bull we got on, he was probably a, 315 320 type bull but yeah he had gigantic fronts a little bit weak on the tops and i like big tops to me mm. that kind of makes a bull elk and um he just for the first bull alligator i wasn't ready to uh to, to go that route yeah, what class were you looking for you know if you're saying these 315 um, I wanted like a, a 330 or better is kind of where i was as hoping mm-hmm. um and to be honest, I say it, that one was 320. He was probably like 310 with his fronts and weak tops. He probably wasn't quite 320 type bull. Mm-hmm. Um, and then uh, got onto a raghorn. And then we got a glimpse of a bull just topping over the, the, the ridge. And uh, we tr- tried circling around him, got in on him, and never bugled, never heard him. And then we had, we were actually heading kind of back towards our spike camp and uh heard a bugle kind of half-hearted bugle out and we assumed it was a bull in his bed mm-hmm. and uh started stalking in on him and the the uh the um guide kind of hung back and i just stalked in and the bull would bugle like once every five to ten minutes and I got in tight on him with less than a hundred, but he was, he was bedded in this drainage and, uh, he, uh, I couldn't, couldn't see him as kind of thick in there. Mm-hmm. And I pulled out my bugle and I ripped the bugle and, and he answered right back. And I thought, okay, he's going to circle downwind of where I just called from. So I tried to like jockey a few yards to get downwind yeah. to where I was at before he could, you know, come up and get downwind to me. And, I know more than took a few steps and he was on the other side of the Canyon already, like walking away, he had no interest in, in any of it. He, he just bugled at us and he was leaving and he was a giant, like three sixty five type bull. That's <laughs> yeah, a lot of antler. Yeah. It was like when I saw him I, and he, his body was just enormous, like mm-hmm. his chest and his neck. And he was just a monster, monster bull. And he never saw me. Did anybody else here um, with know of that bull, or did they not know just by what? Um, he, the uh, outfitter, you know, they the way elk are, they, they summer in an area, then they breed in an area, then they'll winter in an area. And uh, the outfitter that we were with, he had velvet photos of him from, what, from his summer grounds. He didn't typically breed in that area, but the unit we were in had a lot of rain that year. And from what he was experiencing – the the bulls were had shifted kind of from where they typically breed they shifted about a mile or two from where they normally had been breeding to to like different areas for whatever reason he thinks it was just food they were where they wanted to be versus where food had them gotcha yeah that makes sense so that was his estimation on it so um that bull he didn't know where he we were there. He had no clue. He just didn't want to be around other bulls. And he just kind of walked off slowly mm-hmm. that evening. We went, tried to get on him. Uh, couldn't find him. And we got in on this other bull that was just screaming his head off and raking in this thick stuff. And I, uh, kind of left the outfitter, uh, back 
And uh, I went stalking in on the thick stuff. And the bull was just, I mean, every minute or two, he was screaming and you could hear him raking. And I just started easing in on him. And mm-hmm. the next thing you know, I'm 27 yards from the six by six. Jeez. Just no clue I was there. Yeah. And it was, it, it was probably, it was the most exciting, I think, elk hunt that I've, I've had, including kills, just because. I didn't know what this bull was, you know, mm-hmm. and I'm, mm-hmm. I'm moving in on him and I could see just a patch of like tan through the thicket and I could see the tree shaking. He was r- raking on. And I knew if I got up to this one juniper and just took a step to the left, it was going to be wide open. Yeah. So I got up to that juniper and he's still just ripping into this tree and I just ease around left-hand side and he's there broadside wide open, just awesome. You know, and I stood there for 13 minutes filming him. Uh, on my phone and he he bugles and chuckles and he's raking i'll send you some of the video you can mm-hmm. attach to it and uh it, it was probably it was just amazing and uh he wasn't quite what i wanted he was probably a 300 inch bull mm-hmm. uh nice just, which is still real you know, big yeah like you're saying yeah he's still a great six by six but the unit we drew was you know a pretty stellar unit so um i uh he kind of finally just kind of went off never knew we were there uh, next day, uh, we got in, uh, we went back out and did we see the big one? Yes. That's the morning. So that morning, the next, very next morning we're going in, we're in this Canyon and these bulls are bugling and they're on the opposite Ridge and we're kind of tailing them on the opposite Ridge and we were going to head them off. And when, uh, when it finally got daylight and we could lay eyes on them, it was like the one, the one screaming his head off was like the 365 bull. Mm. Now this is only 24 hours from the morning before when I saw him and he wanted nothing to do. Yeah. 24 hours later, he had six cows with him, (laughs) two satellite bulls. And he was just incredibly vocal, like totally total change of personality in 24 hours. It's like, what happens with them that like, he was just by himself all of a sudden. He's like, yep, I'm going to go find my women and then just drug yep. all the other bulls along with them. It's like, <laughs> yeah, well, typically the way the elk are, the, the young bulls go in and they'll herd up the cows. And then when the breeding gets right, the big bulls sweep in, push the little bulls out and take over the herd is basically how a lot of it's them kind of a good setup for the, if you're a big mature bull. <laughs> right. Yeah. <laughs> Dang. Okay. So, uh, he was, they were kind of heading to the saddle. So we dropped off and we were going to, kind of try to beat them to that saddle to cross over the ridge and we got about 250 yards from them and all hell broke loose and the big giant bull got into a fight and the the guide who was probably 400 yards behind us filmed it from across the ridge the bull that i stalked in on the night before Mm -hmm. and that giant bull got into a knockout drag out fight and uh i mean they were going at it it was it was amazing they were like on his video there's like a line of trees and they were both on opposite side of the trees and they're just paralleling one another going back and forth you know just aggressive and then when they came down to the end of the the juniper and they had an opening they just came together and and just crushed it and uh it it was amazing he he has that on video yeah he has on video i have it on my phone too i'll send it to you. yeah we got to put it on here yeah, it's pretty pretty sweet. And we got to the saddle just in time for the cows. Now that they're locked up, this little five point was trying to push the cows away to take them for himself. And uh, we got to the saddle, and the cows topped over. 
And in hindsight, I should have just ran at that bull because he was only 170 yards from us. They were so preoccupied, I could have sl- ran right in on him and probably shot him. Mm-hmm. And uh, But I, I thought, well, he's just going to follow the cows. Well, the fight ended, and sure enough, he came through, and he topped the ridge. I had a lane I could shoot probably 80 yards if he walked in it, and he crossed the, the saddle behind the only tree that, that was there. So um, that that was that day. Um at least you found the big bull again at this point. It's probably what you're thinking. Like yeah. he, He's in the area. He's not really going too yeah. far from his cows, I guess. So the next morning, I uh, actually got in with Isaiah. Isaiah had a baby the day before we got there. He was the, <laughs> the, owns the outfit. Shout out to him. So, yeah, right. Got it done. And, uh, <laughs> it's a fish so right he, there. He, out there. he had a baby. The day we were driving out there, he had the baby. Two days later, he's in the mountains with us elk hunting. So it's pretty pretty. Hard two guy, things yeah. either he's his wife is a saint or he just yes. didn't care that much <laughs> i'm going his with his wife's a saint. saint yeah she she understands and it's one thing like i guess for him it's his passion but it's also his livelihood so it's not just fun hey honey i want to go out coming i know you just had a baby it's honey i gotta go make a living you yeah know? <laughs> i gotta pay for this baby now <laughs> right yeah so we uh the next morning i i got with him and we went in and tried to find that big bull couldn't find him uh we covered a lot of ground that day and uh what had no luck we did get back in and stock back in on the bull uh that got into the fight with the big one and the one that i stocked in on um he had a, some cows with him and uh, he was still in the area and that kind of got late into the morning. He was bugling in a, in a thick cove in this bottom. And by the time we figured out it was him, it was getting late in the morning. But every time he would bugle, this bull probably three quarters of a mile to a mile away would, would answer him back. And when we finally broke off of that stock, we were sitting there and, and that bull bugled again on his own. I'm like, you want to go after him? He's like, he'll he'll probably stop bugling by the time we get there. Mm-hmm. I'm like, well, there's no way to know for sure unless we go try, right? Mm-hmm. What else are we going to do? Sit right. here under the shade, you know, waiting for him to evening. So we uh, we headed that way. We got, cut the distance, and we had dropped down in elevation a good bit, and he hit the bugle, and he answered, but it was just barely audible, so we knew he was on the backside of that the ridge that we were heading to. So we dropped down, headed up got to the top of that ridge and we eased up and there was a big like brushy bowl and he was going to bugle just to kind of locate him and see where he was at. And just as he was raising the bugle to his mouth, you heard, uh, you, you heard the bull just go. And he was a hundred yards from us. Yeah. Like he just groaned in his bed for whatever reason. Mm -hmm. And, uh, so he was like, we knew he was right there and it seemed like he was alone. So, Isaiah said, you know, go pick a spot, go get set up. I'll back up and make a couple cow calls, see if we can pull him over here. So, you know, elk, a lot of times when they're coming in, they'll stay on the same elevation and just side hill around to where they're going. Right. Mm -hmm. So I anticipated that. So I got the wind in my favor and I dropped down to an elevation I thought was just below where he was at. And, uh, Isaiah made like two very faint cow calls. How, how nervous are you at this point, Damien, when you know like 
dang, this bowl's like this close. You know what I mean? Because then it's, it's, it's game it's time. It's exciting, but I, you didn't know what he was. Mm-hmm. And that's, that's true. You don't get overly excited because you haven't seen antlers. It could be the giant. It could be a five point. It could be a spike. You know, you just, yeah. we ne- we're never close enough to hear his bugle to see if he had any like growl to it or anything. Cause he was yeah. always bugling off in the distance. So we had no, in- no idea what we were getting into other than there's a bull here within a hundred to 120 yards of us. Yeah. So got set up. Isaiah made a couple just incredibly faint cow calls and he, bugled immediately like i'm is i'm surprised you could hear it because i could barely hear it and i was you know much closer than than what he was and the next thing you know i hear footsteps and i can hear rocks rolling and uh if you've ever been out to new mexico like the juniper brush like if you get down to the ground you can almost look under it Mm -hmm. you know there's like the bottom two three feet of it's kind of died out yep doesn't get sun so you can kind of see through it and I could see his legs moving, and he's side hilling, coming around. Still, have no idea what he looks like. Elk, elk are so loud too. Like I've been around so them, and it's like they're quiet when they need to be quiet, but if they don't care. It's like no. horses or cattle coming through. Yeah, hundred percent. And uh, he hits a tree, starts raking it a little bit, and uh, lets out a bugle, and starts coming around the hill. And I can tell he's coming right around where I kind of expected him to. Mm-hmm. And it, it's 1045 in the morning at this point. So it sun is straight up over top of us pretty yeah. much. And it's starting to get warm. And he walked through a small opening and I just saw big tops and a seventh point on the right side. And at that point, I was already confirmed. I'm going to shoot this. Yeah, out. You're, <laughs> you're in. <laughs> I'm all in at this point. Right. And uh, so, you know, I, I had no clue really what he was other than the big beautiful tops that he had in that seventh point on his on his right side and he uh he started coming in and he's kind of quartering to me and now i get a good look at him and he's just a really nice bull and he's going through some semi-thick stuff that you couldn't you know it wasn't shootable stuff and he was just getting ready to walk behind the last juniper bush and i had like a 30 yard wide lane that i could draw and I'm, I'm kind of my back's into this juniper, and my bow is in front of me, and I felt like I was in the shade. Well, when I extended my arm, my bow went into the sun. Mm-hmm. And I think I, I started drawing just a split second too soon, and I think he caught that, that movement. And he took it. He stopped. He took a step back, and he swung his head out around the tree and was just staring at me through a hole about the size of a <laughs> basketball. And, uh, I you know, I'm like, stuck at full draw now yeah i did hit record on the tacticam and it's not the greatest video because there's a bunch of stuff in between um but from the time i hit full draw and at a minute 30 at full draw i'm starting to lower my bow to set it on my leg yeah to to rest to rest and he's staring me down and at this point he's like yeah something's not right here so he turns to leave and this is, I, I know you're not a fan of the Garmin site, but when he had his whole head in that hole, yeah. I ranged his face and he was 35 yards and it, it set my pen at 35 yards. And when he turned to leave, he turned broadside and I brought my bow up and he caught that movement again and he turned to look back at me and I, I smoked him. And uh, Damn. he ran 100 yards and you could hear him kind of 
struggling and I, you know, and, and you hear him like cough. And, uh, I went up to Isaiah and we kind of sat there for a few minutes and, uh, we gave him, we ended up, uh, giving him an hour just to be, they're such big animals. And, uh, we walked up there and where we last heard him, he was, he was laying there. So he's a big six by seven. Um, I, I scored him. There's, there's controversy on the score. So I scored him <laughs> at, at 320. One guy scored him at 3-9. Isaiah scored him at 3-0-8. And then I had a uh, a uh, Pope and Young score, scored him at 2-19 or 3-19. So he's somewhere <laughs> in the 3-15 to 3-20. Right, right. I don't know. I won't measure so, him. Don't ask me, Damien. <laughs> But he, uh, you know, he was a great bull. He what? He didn't hit the three thirty mark I was hoping for. But but you know what? Ten inches, like really, yeah. On that much it, antler, yeah. In that moment, and, it, and he has everything to be a three thirty, but his thirds are a little bit short. Mm-hmm. That's a that's what it kept him. And his one, honestly, if you look at him, his one uh, beam is about four inches shorter. So if you had four inches on one beam and a couple inches on each third, you know, he was right there at 330 mark. So yeah. I'm not disappointed. He's still an awesome bull. Um, and then my my buddy was still hunting. He actually sh- uh, shot and missed at that giant 365 bull. Oh, we had that bull with him uh, under 80 yards five times and, and couldn't get a shot at it. Like it was just cat and mouse in in the thickets and yeah. you know the next thing you know a cow comes around the bush and you're staring her in the face at 15 yards and she takes the herd and you know there's isaiah sent a uh really awesome uh water hole video from the trail cam that he got where this bull that it, like this herd of like 15 20 cows go running into it and then he comes trotting into the water hole right after him which was a couple days after we had left and yeah. it, uh, it's a pretty awesome video. So, and then the, the very last day, my buddy Dave, he shot uh, just a stud six by six as well. Um, so, I mean, we went two for two Isaiah, you know, he, uh, we're a hundred percent going out there with him. Are you really every, yeah. I mean, he's, and it's just, uh, the guys on it. Hearing some stories about him from the other episode we did last summer, he just sounds like an awesome guy. He's a real young guy too, isn't he? He's about your age. Okay, so yeah. So yeah, really young. 30, 30, 31, 32 in that ballpark. Yeah. But uh, you know, it's shed season right now, and he's out there collecting sheds. And you know, uh, he did a, a video with uh, Hushin where he uh, they did like a pack in antler, you know, hunt, and I, I think they came out of the woods with like 600 pounds of antler or how fun would that be going to find elk oh, sheds yeah all day long and they're like they're finding these giant sheds and they're like oh this one's chalk we're not gonna pack it out yeah, yeah. It's like, <laughs> no hey no i want that bring that home right, i'll take that chalk it's funny so, i might uh, actually go out and look for elk sheds depending on if i can get out or not with the boys from uh buckstorm in south dakota I, I, you know, yeah. probably won't find as big or as many sheds as they're finding down there. Sure. But I was just, t- you know, talking about, you know, just a little bit separates a bull from being 310, 320, 330. They, I was holding some of their elk sheds. My buddy Trey Heiner from Gray's River Outfitting was up there. And I'm going on an elk hunt with him this September. And so was Austin and Austin's dad. And, you know, I'm like, you know, what, what can I expect? 
um, as far as like caliber of bulls, you know, because for me, I've measured a, th- a 300 inch bull for a guy here in Illinois. And I'm like, man, that's a great bull. I'd be tickled pink with a 300 class bull. And he said, depends, yeah. depends where we're at. Um, there's a couple areas. He's like, you know, you can, you can shoot a bull that's 330. He goes, I think you see, you have a 300 inch bull in your face for your first one. You'll shoot it. Um, oh, yeah. and I'm not going to be overly picky, but that 300 marks where I'd like to be. And that's, that's a good place to be. Um, but I, in, in reality have having done it and experienced it and you get like a, a solid, any six by six in front of you, you you're probably going to smoke them. Yeah. You know what I mean? Just yeah. to go out there and, and just say, nah, you know, I, I'm going to hold out at the 300. <laughs> yeah. You know, it's a, it's a great, that was my expectation on my first elk hunt. Um, and I ended up shooting a four by four. Yeah. And, uh, and then the second time I went back out, I wanted to shoot a 300 and I shot like a, a 275, 280, um, a six by six, mm-hmm. you know. So you, that progression, when you're a whitetail hunter and you see that much antler, you know, it's just, it's hard to turn that down. Oh, yeah. Know? I mean, you got to train yourself, you know. It's just like how guys out east come to the Midwest and, they think they're shooting 150s, and you know, not all the guys, but you hear the famous story of, I thought he was 150, but he's like 125. You right. know, it's like, well, I get that. You know, it's just you're not used yeah. to it. So, same thing with elk, and it'll take me a few hunts, I'm sure, before I'm like stone cold holding out for a 320 or whatever. You know, but yeah. I told Trey, I'm like, that's where I'd like to be. You know, I'll be happy. Of course, if I'm going to shoot it, I'm going to be happy with it because it got me excited enough to yep. shoot it you know so in that yeah, moment i'll tell you the 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 only animal i've killed several species and the only animal including you know my first white tail as a little kid like the only animal to ever bring me to tears when i shot my first one was an elk is like, it because of like the adventure of it or the size of them or the childhood so, dream of it or what is it you think i i think it Yes, all of the, you know, <laughs> okay. you know, the, the, the four by four I shot, you know, we hunted 11 days hard and we had, were on bigger bulls and we were coming down to crunch time. And, uh, you know, my dream as a kid growing up was always to go elk hunting. And the fact that it finally came full circle and I got that opportunity and I, I got to shoot an elk like all that emotion and everything just hit me. And, you know, at that time I was, I was filming for a show and like a camera's right in my face and I'm trying to, you know, I was 30 years old and trying to hold my, my stuff together yeah. because I knew, you know, it's a, for the world to see and you're choking it, choking down, you know, your, your uh, emotions. But um, it's, it's even still, I've, I've killed three elk now and, and I've been part of seven elk kills uh, every single one is, is just very, um, emotional and, and rewarding and mm-hmm. put so much into it. And, you know, I put a lot into my whitetail hunting, but man, there's just, there's nothing compares to it for me. So you're saying, you're telling me right now you drop whitetails for elk. If it was a forever thing. I would thing. never shoot another whitetail in my life. If I could hunt elk every year, bow hunt elk every year in September, someplace in new mexico or arizona <laughs> no that's bold but i get it though because like clint casper's bit by the same bug you know and yeah 
I consider him to be more of a mule deer guy, but he loves his elk, you know. And it's funny when you talk to guys out west. And I don't know if you have this same experience, Damien, with like your buddies out there. But there's hard. There's both mule deer and elk guys. But it seems like if you ask one of them, what would you rat mule deer or elk? A lot of the guys lean mule deer, or at least in the circle that I'm friends with. And then yeah. it's like, yeah, elk are cool. But elk, like you guys, find them cooler than we find them cooler. But that's not true across the board. Um, you know, I don't. The I don't want to. I probably shouldn't even say that. But like <laughs> to me, after after hunting, have hunted mule deer. Like the the they don't. <laughs> Just say it. Come on. <laughs> All right. So I, I I feel like mule deer are dumber and okay. like they let you get away with more. Yeah, and it makes stalking them funner mm-hmm. or more fun because you can get away with it and you get in tight and you can make more mistakes. You know, I mean, somebody's going to be running me out. No, oh, you're full of crap. But, yeah, yeah. You know that that's my opinion with the t- with the two species. Whereas elk, you know, you can get away with a lot with elk just because they're so noisy and you can be noisy. But yeah. It uh, maybe high country is a different story when you're dealing with the tough terrain and and stuff. But it, um, I don't know. I I just I hear. I, you. I get what you're saying. I know. I know. I know and, where your hesitance. Like and th- you, it's hard to say <laughs> three hundred inches. But what else are you going to kill with three hundred inches of antler? Right. Yeah. That's true. That's true. You know. And I get where your hesitance is from because there's a controversy there. It's like. Oh, mule deer are easier. They 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 do let you buy. The, they seem a little more delayed. Whereas a whitetail lives around more pressure. I think generally. Yeah. So yeah. I think that's They're why. On edge. They're on edge They're, all the time. And they don't like. And elk will do that too. You know, you bump them and they'll run out there 30, 40, 50 yards and stop and turn around and look at you like, what was that? You mm-hmm. know. Whereas whitetails, there's none of that. They're they're leaving the county. Yeah, they're just so, out of there, and they'll worry about what you are later if they see you right. again. Yeah, yeah. So I get it. I get the hesitance, but you know, I hear. Yeah. I hate to even say this too. Here, here I'll, I'll say some controversy here to even it out. I've heard guys say, "Why would you want to want to hunt a big dumb animal like an elk?" I've heard mule deer get hardcore mule deer. I won't name his name, but a guy out of uh, Idaho and one guy out of Wyoming said that before. That's a big dumb animal that calls back at you. It's like a turkey. He goes mule deer. <laughs> mule deer are hard to hunt and they're elusive. So I, that's just everybody's opinion. It's funny to yeah. to bring it up, but I get yeah, both but, the allure. But if I lived out there, I'd hunt it all. You know, right? Yeah, fixed blade mechanicals. It's yeah. that's exactly what it is. <laughs> Big antlers are awesome. If turkeys had antlers, it'd be a lot different. Yeah, I might care then about turkeys. But I'll t- I'll tell you after doing this turkey OG series, I yeah. I went out and I'm a bow guy. I hunt. I'm an archery guy. I went out after that Turkey OG series and I bought a shotgun for turkeys. Yeah, I'll punch one in the face. I was just motivated. You know what I mean? And I took. Yeah. I, I don't know anything. I know a little bit about firearms, more than I give myself credit for, probably. But when it comes to like chokes and barrel length yeah. and what I should get and stuff, I took Austin and Ross with me and we went to Bass right Pro. Yeah, I'm like, hey, what gun's good? Where I'm not going to break the bank and then pick me out a choke and then. What shell should I get? So they pretty much shopped for me, and I just paid for it. So they made you pay for some TSS <laughs> shells. I didn't. I didn't. We, they didn't have three and a half inch. Uh, they had three inch, but they're like, nah, you want three and a half. But I got a big like, oh, what is it? It's a Carlson's 
Um, it's for the Winchester loads. Uh, yeah. The Longbeard XRs. I don't know. It's a six five zero choke. I don't know what it means, but they said it's it. Yeah. It'll shoot a, a tight one out there pretty far. So yeah, well, that's cool. We'll see. I don't know, but you know, I'm excited for my elk hunt. So this story is getting me even more ramped up for that, and um, yeah, you know, just getting prepared mentally and knowing what to think about and what to expect. Yeah, I got about twenty days or so till I find out on the New Mexico lottery this year. I put in for antelope. I've never really. It's never been high on my priorities, but. It's uh, the unit out there. It's a big stock and spot and stock unit. Mm-hmm. The way the topography is, so that piques my interest. And I figure at some point I'm going to want to kill an antelope. So um, I put I put in for antelope too. So hopefully I draw one of those tags. And cool. If not, we'll. Uh, can you draw both? You can, but I mean, the likelihood of that happening. I, honestly, I have very low uh, expectations on my elk tag because. Uh, two of the last three years I've drawn, so because it's fifty fifty there, right? What's that? Is it fifty fifty draw odds? Uh, oh no, no. It's uh, are like we talking a, New Mexico, Arizona? New Mexico. It's a straight lottery in New Mexico, so you got to depending on what unit you're putting in for, oh, what right. season. It all varies. More people apply for second archery season because it's closer to the rut or peak rut and. You know, so you got more applications in that season. So you can favor your odds mm-hmm. depending on where you're going, what season you're putting in for and and all that. But it's it's still a, a minute. I mean, the, the tags that my buddy and I drew last year, and this wasn't a party tag. There's only like three non-resident tags available in that unit, and we drew two of the three. <laughs> okay. Like, the, the odds of that is absolutely – like I called him – to like rub it in his face that I drew that tag. And he's like, I think I drew two. Like, Get out of here. <laughs> well, it's a cool, it's cool. You, but you guys both killed. I mean, Oh yeah. You, you know, yeah. the likelihood of that happening again, I mean, could happen, but probably yeah. not likely. So you guys right. capitalized on it and got it done. Congrats, man. Yeah. Thanks. So it's that's, awesome. that's your third bowl. You said, yeah. Yep. So you're going every year if you can. I will apply every single because it's straight lottery. You don't have to play the point system. Yeah, I hate the point system, and everyone's like, "Oh, you need to apply all these other states." Well, I've had the greatest experience of my life in New Mexico, and it's straight lottery. Okay, it's small odds, but I'd rather know that there's a chance that I might draw versus knowing I'm not going to draw mm-hmm. for eight to ten years. You know what I mean? Yep. Like yeah. that, that, no, applying and knowing you're not going to get a tag is pretty um, heartbreaking to me. So I'd rather apply knowing there's a chance versus n- applying and not. And yeah, you could spread it around and, you know, eventually, but I, I don't, I don't really care to hunt anywhere else. So um, I respect that. I think that's, I mean, I, uh, you're straight up about it because you know what I'm doing? I just bought Colorado points and Utah points and I'm spending that right. money and, you know, I'm doing this whole, oh, I can't go this year. I mean, I did, I'm, I haven't technically drawn my Wyoming tag yet. There's a chance right. that I might not, but I had enough points to draw it. I think I will, but mm-hmm. I mean, I guess there's a chance that I don't draw and then I'm going to go, oh crap. And then, I mean, whatever it is, what it is at and that with, point. With, with Isaiah, you know, I, a lot of people hear my stories and they're all gung ho to go uh, apply for New Mexico. And they're like, I want to go this year. And I'm like, 
well, that's fine, but it's a hundred percent lottery. So unless you're going to fork out for a private ranch tag or something like that, you're not going this year. So the way New Mexico works, you just have to apply every single year. And if you get drawn, whether it's convenient or it's affordable or whatever the case may be, if you got to sell your firstborn child that year, whatever to go, you make it happen. That's the way that's my two cents on it. Yeah. So if, whether it's convenient or whatever, I, if I draw, I make it happen. So see, that's good too. I think a lot of people. I mean, there's your hardcore guys, like you know, guys like you, guys that like Clint, guys like Devin, guys like Trey. I mean, all these other guys you see that are successful out west, they make the time to go and commit to these trips and commit to being dedicated to actually make these things they think about all year or they dream about as a kid. They commit to making them happen, and then you have your guys that never make it a priority, but always wish they would have gone. And then the guys that are probably telling you that you're lucky, but yeah. you know you sacrifice certain things to go. When those are sure. a lot of people, I'll go with you, and then they they never, you know, where are them guys yeah. at when you're yeah. putting gas yeah. in your truck ready to go out there or whatever? You know, exactly. There's a big Absolutely. difference, you know, actually doing things and putting them off. You know, and next thing you know, ten, fifteen, twenty years goes by, and they're kicking their own ass. So yeah, you got to just go. Yep. Got to make it happen. So that was my, uh, that was my elk hunt. Um, again, hope to go again this year and have more stories to tell. Um, then I got back to, came back to Ohio and, uh, our archery season opened and, uh, I was after. So last year when I killed this buck, uh, November 2nd, um, I, kept monitoring his brand new farm. I just started hunting Mm -hmm. and I, uh, kept, you know, Ohio is a a bait state. So this property I was feeding in multiple different spots, kind of inventorying what type of deer is on this place. And, um, the week after gun season. So, well, let me back up a small bit, but so I shot him November 2nd, um, November 11th to the 18th. I had a pretty good, big group of new bucks mature bucks cruising through and sticking around for a day or two and then mm-hmm. leaving you know yeah um so mental note to that and then uh the week after gun season uh this buck showed up and he was pretty nice and he once he showed up he started hitting food plots and feeders and he was he was regular almost every day every night um, m- lots of daylight movement in the one corner of the, of the property, just an overgrown kind of thick, nasty, but around a bunch of, uh, bedding and stuff. Mm-hmm. And I kind of kept tabs on him and it figured if he survived, that would probably be the buck that I would want to hunt the following year. Um, ended up in March 17th. Um, I got a picture of a buck with bloody pedicles at right at the right when your camera's switching to infrared. So it was still yeah. colored and they were, you could tell by his head, he was a bigger deer. The only bigger deer on the property that was regular was him. So I figured it had to be him. And with my other cameras on the property, it always seemed like he was coming from the East. Um, so I went down that day, parked my truck and walked 200 yards and found both of his sheds. Um, so that was that was kind of pretty awesome. Yeah, those and are the sheds we're looking at. 
That's these ones right here, yeah. And uh, you know, split split brows, solid mass. Were they laying together? They were about ten feet apart. I the one was I hate shed hunting on sunny days, and uh, I saw this one shining in the sun, and I walked up and I picked it up, and I was all excited. As once the the buzz wore off, I'm like, I wonder if the other one's around here, and I looked up ten feet away, and it was laying right there. <laughs> so it um, so that kind of confirmed. So the sheds. Uh, scored 157 and I thought he was a three-year-old honestly um, he, he just had like this long skinny snout his body said he was kind of a four-year-old but he had this long skinny snout mm-hmm. and uh, I, I just kind of I thought okay maybe he's three it's post rut you know it's hard it's late season yeah hard to tell about so, that time right I wasn't 100% sure I had no history with him obviously being a new property so the next spring I put in food plots, um, planted clover in the bottom field where he was, I uh, had turnips the year before and he kind of regulared. I wanted to have some summer type of attractant there to kind of try to hold him there. Yeah. Um, uh, had minerals out up in the back corner of the property where he was daylighting. I put in like a little one acre food plot of turnips and brassicas and I felt like that was probably where I would probably kill him. Yeah. I built a box blind in there. Like uh, I was going all in. Right? Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. No photos of this deer all summer. All summer. All summer. Got one photo of him, uh, two photos of him. It was uh, a camera on burst and he was walking down a trail on July 3rd and he's swinging his head and the pictures are kind of blurred because it's infrared, but you can tell he's heavy He's wide and he's got a start to a split on a G2, right? Mm-hmm. I'm like, man, that's got to be him. You know, it, that's, there's no other deer that could be. And that was it. No more photos. What a tease. And what a total tease. See, but see it, you know, Damien, from my perspective, living in Illinois where we're not allowed to like supplemental feed or run feeders or, or bait or anything like that, like I wish we could really bad for. Mm-hmm summer pitchers and inventory and you know yeah. herd health i would think that if he was there on all that late season when he shed that you'd it would yeah. be knockout like you yeah. just have pictures of that. him and that's what i was banking on but at the same time there's no ag in the area the closest ag like the the fields on that property are just hay fields hmm. and they were just crappy hay fields i planted i put in clover and alfalfa in the one Trying, I put about it was a five acre field, and I planted that. Did you just seed into the hay? Just uh, no, I I killed it. Well, I had planted it in turnips the fall before. Gotcha. And then I went in and and planted it into uh, clover alfalfa early in March, Mm -hmm. and all the ags about a mile away. So my guess is, hindsight is he was a mile away where the beans were probably all summer that makes sense all fall and uh i i had nothing to go off of i was actually i barely hunting my buddy was hunting a, a mega giant like 195 just stud deer and he would randomly on one of his other properties have this other like 180 inch deer show up it wasn't regular i hunted in there a couple times just for like a a you know wishful thinking more than anything you know just because i wanted to be out hunting and he was on a giant and was like hey you know anything can happen yeah so didn't hunt much um my my hope was that week november 11th 
through the 18th where all them new deer moved in the year before, mm-hmm. that would be the window when he would show up. So, um, was kind of banking on that. And as that time frame started coming, the areas where I would get him in transitions and funnels coming through, I would start kind of just hunting in those areas, hoping to get glimpse of him, you know, mm-hmm. um, but no luck. And then on November 14th, I hunted in the one funnel at noon. I got down, went to lunch, changed my clothes at the barn, drove out, went into to town, got something to eat. As I'm sitting there, I was like, oh, I wonder what I passed up a section. So knowing that window was approaching uh, on the 11th, I went in and then the corner of that field, the property line is basically the field edge. Mm-hmm. So I went in. There's no place to hunt there. It's just brushy, nasty stuff. And I went in and just dumped a bag of corn and threw a camera on it right in the corner, just hoping anything cruising through there might coax them in front of that camera. Right. Because if, you know, other than that, you're just guessing a, a trail out of 50 they could be on, you know? Yeah. And uh, so that was on Thursday evening. I put that out. And Saturday I hunted. While I was in town at lunch, I opened up my camera. While I was changing my clothes, he was 170 yards away from me, standing in front of that camera in that corn pile with a doe. <laughs> and at noon, while I yeah. was changing to go to lunch. And, you know, the, you know how it is with the trail camera apps. I'll I, drive you I nuts. opened up the app and, like, you get the little tiny tiles with all the photos that are there. And all I saw was giant rack before I even opened the thing. And I'm like, oh, (laughs) so I opened it up and it's him. And there was, he stood there. It was on, I think one minute delay. And I think I got like eight pictures of him there. And he went back into the, to the North, into the neighboring property. And I, I like full on went into like, will they come back tonight? I can't hunt there. You know, I'm not a a big believer in being able to shoot a big, big deer on corn piles, you know, anyway. Yeah. Um, It it does help and it can happen, but I think as a regular, you know, they're more cautious than anything, especially in Ohio when everybody on every 20 acre parcel is doing it. Yeah. God, Um, I can't even imagine. So (laughs) I, I went in and I'm, I'm hoping, okay, I can't even see where I was feeding, but I'm hoping if he comes back, he comes out into that clover alfalfa field that night and I'm trying to think, okay, I don't have any stands, anything down there to really do this. Right. Mm-hmm. And I found an old climber, an old summit climber didn't even have a seat in it. And I'm like, okay, I'm going to try to like rig this thing up. Then I didn't have a limb saw. The only tree I could have climbed had limbs going everywhere. Cause it was on the edge of a field, you know? Yeah. So I'm like, what am I going to do? So I go back into the guy's cabin and he had one of those, ghost blinds right yeah sitting in the the big mirror looking thing run out there and i i hollow out this spot in this pine tree because it's on this uh west side of the field it's all pines and then the neighboring house is literally 90 yards from me and then uh so i hollow out this little spot and i figured if he come out in the field it was going to be a longer shot so i i made sure i could stand up and get a good you know uh shot process if i needed to and i'm sitting there that evening the neighbor guy comes out at like five after five. He's got a mini farm. He's over there feeding ducks and the ducks are screaming and that he's got emus and pigs and yelling at the dogs and banging buckets, you know? And I'm texting my buddy. I'm like, 
this is a waste. I might as well just leave. Right. And yeah. Right. As all this is going on, that buck steps out into that field. Did, I wonder if it, that guy got him up or something like that. I, he was feeding. Like he just, I think he just came back to feed that evening, you know, his last 20 minutes of daylight or so. And he, a, a little buck came out and he followed the little buck. And then once I looked at my uh, camera, he was actually in the tree line for a few minutes eating corn, mm-hmm. but I couldn't see him inside that thicket. And then once he ate some corn, he came out into the the, clo- the clover alfalfa field. And, uh, you know, he's he's feeding out there. And I range him. He was 75, 65, 60. I'm like, 60 yards I can do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. I, I'm, I'm, a, I'm, I'm a pretty solid shot. So I take my time. I get everything ready. I stand up, you know, and I'm in, I'm totally engulfed in this pine tree. I just have a little window I can shoot out and, uh, I draw back and like, I, I settle that pin on him. And I think in the back of my head, I I settled it right to the bottom of his chest. And I thought he's not going to react with all this neighbor noise going on. He's never going to hear the shot. So I bring it back up to center mass of that chest cavity and I touch it off. And he ducks my arrow. <laughs> no clue what happened. He only ran like 15 yards and he stopped and he stood there and actually went back to feeding. No and shit. Yeah. He had no clue what happened. And then he just kind of walked off. And when it got dark, I, I eased out, snuck out of there and uh, hunted that spot the next day. Saw him at 100 yards. Um, then he was gone for five days. Then I got a photo of him again. Uh, in the corner of that field um, two days in a row. And then he was gone two days. Then he was back two days. And then he found my food plot in the corner that I put in where I thought I was going to kill him. Once he found that, he was every single day within the first hour of dark and the first hour before daylight, every single day. No kidding. He would He would be there. He always came from the north, always left to the north. There was a power line that right on the north side of that food plot that I put in. And he always came from that direction, always left that direction. And I had it narrowed down to like three trails that he used. And I kind of felt like I knew where he was betting, but it's, you know, obviously off the property. So it's only 60 acres I'm hunting. Mm-hmm. So I couldn't go any closer to him. I could try to cut him off trying to come in or trying to get him to stage up or whatever. But, um, you know, I was hoping for colder weather. And so a couple times he was there just after shooting light. Um, but he was always there and then he would leave all night long and then he would show up an hour before, uh, you know, at five in the morning and leave by six. Right. That's mm-hmm. kind of the, the, the stereotypical pattern that he had. And I, I had pulled all my trail cameras and focused everything in on this farm. Right? So I had like 15 cameras running on this north end of this farm trying to ke- figure this deer out. Right. And a uh, bunch of cell cameras. And then um, gun season came. Gun season, I kind of stay out. I, I don't want to, if he's on the property, I don't want to push him out on yeah. the neighboring property. Let him get you know? a break. Right. And I just kind of, I would drive the area just to see who was hunting, what gates were open, that sort of thing. The buck never changed his pattern all gun season. So I figured there must not have been a lot of pressure going on. Thursday of gun season, he he didn't show up till nine o'clock that night. 
Um, the rest of gun season, he was right on pattern. Then um, I we had talked before, and I know Mark and Drew uh, Drew and uh, Terry. Drury's hate the uh, uh, new moon. Yeah, I, almost all of my deer are killed on the new moon. So yeah. this is going into my new moon window. <laughs> to throw that out there. Yeah, yeah. But like yeah, Mark's it, like, yeah, don't have that guy on again. I'm kidding. You're right. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so the the new moon window is there, and uh, Saturday of gun season. My wife has a, a mini farm and she's got goats and all kinds of crazy animals. She's over there hanging out with that other guy with the emus. Right. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Should be. Uh, maybe I better keep an eye on. Yeah. It. Watch the emu yeah. guy. <laughs> <laughs> Although it might get me hunting permission where that buck. <laughs> there you from. go. <laughs> hey man, I'll let my wife hang out with you, but I'm going to need to slip in this back 40. <laughs> right. uh, so uh, Saturday of gun season, I'm back there building a barn door for I come in just before dark and I go and take a shower. I open up my cameras and he's standing in my food plot right at last shooting light on Saturday of gun season. And I'm like, Oh, you gotta be kidding me. Right. (laughs) So now I'm like, okay, maybe I need to hunt tomorrow. Mm -hmm. You know? And even though it's Sunday of gun season, uh, last day of gun season. So Sunday morning I go down there and my, I had an issue with my tractor. I was meeting a mechanic down there and, uh, on my way down there, the buck didn't show up on my food plot that morning until 6 a.m. He didn't leave till 7, which is shooting light. Yeah. So now I'm like, okay, he's close, and he's moving in daylight. Mm-hmm. He's probably not going to be that far bedded down. I need to hunt tonight. So yeah. I went in that night, got in my blind, and uh, I'm sitting there. And I only hunted that spot twice that entire year, and both times I hunted, I, I saw like 25 deer each each night, and they start at like one o'clock in the afternoon, and it's like every 20 minutes there's deer coming out in it. Mm-hmm. Never saw a deer until 3:45 that day, and it was a lone button buck, and he fed around and he went to the top of the field and laid down, and then about 15 minutes later, a little doe fawn came out and they met up and they fed around. That was the only deer I seen pretty much the entire night. Mm-hmm. Then at five after five, a big doe came out and they all met up and they're standing in the field and they, they're just out there feeding around. And I had a feeder at the North end and they went up and fed there. And then they came back down and they're out in the middle of the field and it's starting to get dark at this point. Right. And I'm like, okay, it's not going to happen. And starting to kind of give up hope started you know how it is when you're sitting in a, in a ground blind you start like packing your stuff away and i'm bad at ground up. blinds man i give <laughs> up so like, fast in them I know. <laughs> and i'm like putting stuff away and i just keep watching these deer to make sure they're not hearing me or anything and all of a sudden that big doe snaps her head up looks at the power line and like turns her whole body that direction full alert and i'm like something's coming mm-hmm. so i turn and i look out the window and i just see him coming across the power line and, you know, I, I built that blind in there specifically to kill him. And he comes walking past me right through the lane, right to my right, gets past me, quartering away. And uh, I get ready for him as obviously as he's coming in. And when he's walking, quartering away, I'm kind of shooting uphill at him. And I, I the shot goes off. I hear it hit him. He takes off like a, a bat. And... Uh, my lighted knock didn't go off, so I didn't see where I hit him, you know, but I knew I hit him. Mm-hmm. The f- shot felt good, you know, and 
I get out. I gave him a few minutes. You know, you send all your buddies texts. I just shot him. You call my wife, you know, the whole nine yards. And uh, I get out. I go out. Can't find my arrow right away. So I'm looking around. So I shot him with, with my bow the last day of gun season. Mm-hmm. And uh, you're the master of that. You've done that a couple times in the last few years. Just got to have your tag and blaze orange, man. Right. <laughs> and uh, Just to clarify, so, everybody. Right. So then... That I go the direction he ran. I don't find any blood. You know, the brassica tops are giant plates of green. Yeah. You think you'd see blood sp- sprayed on them? Don't see any. So now I'm, I'm like, oh, maybe the worst happened or something. And I go back. I'm looking around, looking around. I find my arrow. I was looking ten yards away from where, <laughs> where I was. You know, you know how it is. You, you get, get what happened excited. is I did that with a buddy last fall, and you just get excited because you're expecting just. It's in the open. You'd think you know where he was standing exactly. Yeah, right. And you and just. Again, it's dark and you're out there and you think, you know, everything's. You start to get frantic a little bit and you're like, ah, shit, is it not what I thought? And then, yeah, it, I yeah. get it. So I ended up uh, finding the arrow. The arrow's covered in bright pink blood. I'm like, that's a good sign. So I take the arrow, I stick it in the ground, and I'm like, I'm just going to give him till morning. It's cold. You know, it's you're into December now. Mm-hmm. And, uh, Go back to my truck. I'm texting all my buddies. We have a group text of, of some diehards. And uh, I'm like, I'm giving him till morning. I, I don't know. So my buddy owns a landscaping business. And he calls me. He's like, dude, it's supposed to rain from 2 a.m. till noon, like an inch and a half. And I'm like, Ugh. I'm like, all right, I'm going to give him as much time as possible. So my buddy Dave that I elk hunt with, he, he owns property not too far away. He's coming. My buddy Lee's coming. Lee knows a guy who's got a, a dog that is uh, blood tracking in training. Mm-hmm. It's kind of a pup. It's only six months old, but he's found some other deer. And uh, he's like, I'll see if he can come. And then my buddy Zach, you know, came. So we had a whole search party. And while I'm waiting, I ran into town, bought a spotlight to go for blood tracking, you know, because yeah. all I had was my phone. And, uh, we all they get there at nine thirty that evening, so it's been four hours almost at this point. And uh, we start up the the field, and at the end of the field, it, the power line goes up, and I take that spotlight and I kind of shine up the hill, and there's two eyes up there looking at us, and I'm like, oh, there's deer, and then all of a sudden it turns and trots off, and it was a coyote, and I'm like, oh, that's kind of bad sign, yeah, <laughs> yeah, <laughs> you know? Austin Chandler so, flashbacks, <laughs> right, yeah, and so. I get up to the top of the hill and I'm like, I, the arrow's right over, and my arrow is gone, gone, nowhere to be found. Like I stuck it full body weight into the dirt, and that the only thing I could think is that coyote smelled the blood on that arrow and and uh, carried it off. I haven't gone in there to shed hunt yet. I'm thinking I'll probably find my arrow someplace where that coyote trotted off and dropped it. You know, I don't think yeah. he carried it far, but that's the only thing I could figure. So has to be. Yeah. Or a raccoon so, tipped it over. And something smelled the blood on it and drug it off. Yeah. So we uh, we get in there. The the dog, like I said, you don't have a hot lot of hope. He's a pup. He's just excited. You know, he's on like a 30-foot lead or whatever, and he's got a collar with a lighter at the bottom of his collar. And, you know, they're going around. And the direction the buck went, when I made that food plot with my tractor, I pushed everything, kind of wind rode everything. There's only two ways they could go out of that field. And in my excitement, I, it looked like he was running to the downhill side of it. And that's where I thought he went. Well, it turns out he didn't. He went to the other trail, which my buddy, while we were looking there, my buddy went up there and found just a speck of blood. Mm-hmm. So 
we put the dog on it and the dog just keeps wanting to go off into the timber. Right. And, and, uh, uh you know, we have no hope in this dog at this point. Yeah. Yeah. He's so no interest in the, <laughs> everybody's the kind of shit talking so, the dog low key. <laughs> right. <laughs> and we're, we're finding just enough blood and some bubbles and stuff that to kind of get us going down this old grown up trail. And, uh, the dog, you know, he'd zigzag up there and go up and he's just more of a nuisance at this point. And then he goes down the hill and into the mold of Florida Rose and the guy has him on that long lead and he's got car hearts and stuff on and he kind of pushes through it and he's like, your deer's right here. And the dog, had, I think the dog, we were shit talking the dog. I think the dog could just smell the deer and wanted to go to it. Mm-hmm. He only ran 80 yards and, uh, the dog just could smell the deer and wanted to go straight to it. He could care less about the blood on the ground. And we were trying to get him to follow the blood, right? Yeah. So it, we get through the, all that brush, and the dog's just standing on the deer, and the light's, like, shining on him. And, you know, and uh, at that point, you're just ecstatic. You know, you walk up there, and he's just a massive, big old buck, and bigger than I expected. I thought he was 170-ish. He ended up, he's 177 and some change. Slammer. Yeah, 45 inches of mass. So you had one mass measurement that was under five inches, and it was four and seven eighths. The rest of them were all over five inches. Um, Jeez, you know, he's a mainframe 10. Uh, he's got a kicker off his G2, and then uh, he's got a another point that's uh, an inch and some change over here off his main beam. I don't know what you stick a point, whatever you want to call it. Yeah. Um, just a, an absolute giant, 20 inches wide. Um you know, and the reason we didn't find any blood is I hit him. He was quartering away and shooting uphill at him. So my entrance was low and about an inch and a half behind the last rib. The entrance was plugged with intestine mm. and the exit was in the shoulder, high in the shoulder. So the, he just, where didn't he bleed, fell yeah. over, like it was like somebody spilled a 55 gallon barrel of blood right there, but it yeah. was just all in his chest cavity. He just didn't, none of it drained out while he was running off. But again, he only went 80 yards, but you beautiful know, buck. You, you never, you never know. You always try to do the right thing and you don't yeah. want to push them and you know how it goes, and especially with the Austin story and fear of the coyote stuff. And yeah, but you just, you only do what you can, you know, I mean, right. and you play it smart. You, you never you know. know. You 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 give him time, you go in, you hope you recover your deer, or you you push it, you bump him, he runs off, and the coyotes get him anyway. You know, that's kind of the, the way it, it yeah. it's the the, uh, the the good and the bad, I guess. Well, I mean, and also, too, yeah, it seems like a waste when that happens, but it, nothing really gets wasted. True. You know what I mean? It's, it's a bummer to let the coyotes get fed. it, but something's it's fed. A, cycle of life you know the mm-hmm. circle of life yeah will. yeah it, you know the bugs gotta eat the coyotes gotta eat the buzzards gotta eat the possums gotta eat i mean it doesn't go to waste do you get to eat it no but something is is making that you know go into uh back into the the circle of life but um yeah so he's pretty awesome buck um i like that you euroed him i do you ever have plans to shoulder mount him because i know you're a big euro guy in general aren't you well my you know i got a lot of deer mounted a lot of things mounted and um i've made the call actually last year not last year the year before when i shot this guy i said i'm not mounting another deer unless he's 160 or better Mm -hmm. this guy scored 159 and 78 (laughs) and i'm like I, I said 160 or better, so that you know that that's where I'm at. So 
my my taxidermist he sends the hides out to be tanned and i do like euros i do the euros myself so i euro them that way i can draw on them and take naps with them and <laughs> drag them around for friends to see and all that stuff while they're in the process and then when he gets the hides back and the forms yeah. ordered and everything he calls me and then you do get to enjoy stuff. like a euro and a skull plate differently than a shoulder mount like shoulder yeah. mounts are beautiful and they're classy and they look great and they're fun for everyone to but enjoy you can't do this you can't do that. You can't, do that. you can't. You can't just sit and feel the weight and the you know the grip them and when they're when they're up on the wall you can't really just love on them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> you know? Yeah, like there's there's just something about being able to do that that you can't do to to an actual mount. So yeah, um, I do like that. And then once. I don't want to say once the excitement wears off, but once some of the uh, uh, excitement tames down, we'll say um, it's ready to be mounted. And then you put it on the wall and all your friends have been able to hold it and hang on to it. And, you know, how them people take their deer and drop them off at a tax nervous and don't see them for a year. I don't. I don't know how you do that because I, I can't do that. First thing I do is I get my skull plates. And then when old barn calls me and they're like, Hey, it's time. I'm like, okay, I'll drop off the kids, give them the racks back, and then I only got to wait a little bit of time before they're mounted. You right. know, I'm just like, you call me he when you need it. Up. Right. So. My tax nurse, like, he, he, he knows. He'll be like, so I'm getting ready to mount your deer here, and uh, I don't have any antlers. Yeah, I'll be right <laughs> over. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Dude, killer season, man. A big-ass elk, big-ass whitetail, I mean, on fire. Hope you can do it again this uh, this season. Um, but yeah, you're one of them consistent so. killers, man. So it's always good to get some stories from you. And uh, I appreciate the support that you provide us at Working Class and at the shows and um, online and just being part of our community, man. So uh, congratulations and super happy for you. Thanks. Thanks, man. Hey, if you want to shout anything out, like your socials or anything, um, go ahead and do uh, it. You got uh, Damien underscore Hunts on Instagram. By Facebook, I kind of leave uh, to closer friends and family and not just total strangers um and then you got uh isaiah gonzalez if you want to follow some cool stuff uh for uh, elk hunting you got uh prime time prime time outdoors is his uh instagram and his facebook and like right now he's just posting crazy shed hunting videos and you know just obnoxious stuff that just makes you <laughs> dream about elk all the time so he's a big antler buyer too. So he'll post the videos where he's parked along the interstate buying antlers from people. You know, he just put, he just posts. I'll be at the intersection of whatever, and people bring him the antlers to sell, and, and he buys and sells and does the whole nine yards. So Very it's cool. uh, it's just cool to follow him along. Um, Andy's just a, an absolute beast in the mountains when it comes to finding giant elk. So. Awesome. Other than that, uh, yeah, just Damien underscore hunts on Instagram. That'll do. Cool. I'll link it all. I'll put it all in the description of this episode. That way it's all there. Yeah, I'll send you some of the them videos and some trail camera photos and stuff of this buck. And Yeah, it's perfect, man. Cool. cool. Well, thanks, man. Thanks, everyone, yeah. for watching and listening. Um, if you're chasing elk, let us know about it in the comments on these episodes. Uh, maybe Damien will reach out to you, give you some advice. Uh, 
do's and don'ts of you know from his experiences on his first elk hunts and uh yeah let's interact with the community there on deercast and on working class bowhunter youtube and all our socials so thanks everyone for listening watching we appreciate you and thanks damien for uh telling those stories and i'll end it with this uh go shoot a giant we love you guys thanks think with four of us spread out on a tiny island that the task of tagging a whitetail would not be a big thing but as i've learned no matter where i've been whitetails can be damn tricky pursuing wild game in wild places tune in to hunt stand presents saturdays at 8 30 p.m eastern waypoint tv the destination for outdoor entertainment